0: Welcome to Making Connections News. I'm your host Mimi Pickering. On this episode of our radio hour and podcast, we are hearing from speakers from the launch of the Black Appalachian Coalition. We follow that up with an interview with filmmaker and author Tom Hansel about what he learned through his project After Coal from the Appalachia America podcast. On June 18th, the Black Appalachian Coalition, in partnership with the NAACP, was launched with a discussion of Black invisibility in the Appalachian region and an urgent call to include African Americans in their communities in regional redevelopment efforts being considered by President Biden and the Congress. Central Appalachia includes some of the poorest communities in the nation. Although the region has long provided raw materials to fuel American prosperity elsewhere, it has suffered economically and, in many places, working people have experienced downward mobility since the early 1980s. Absentee corporations and extractive industries have left the land scarred and the people in the region sick. Among those hardest hit by the losses are black Appalachians. Not only have black residents of the region suffered tremendous economic and cultural losses in the past decades, but they are often simply ignored, despite the rich cultural history of black Appalachians and their many contributions to the region. This is why the organizers of the Black Appalachian Coalition, BLAC, believe this new effort is critical for our region. They state that BLAC aims to bring forward black people in the region as leaders, credible messengers, and experts. They say their very presence in public conversations can begin to shift fundamental narratives about Appalachia. And they can identify and begin to remedy some of the racist policies that have long disadvantaged black people in the region. Denise Abdullah Rahman from the NAACP Environmental Climate Justice Program hosted the event. Here is Ms. Rahman.
1: The whitewashed
0: narratives of
1: Appalachia that rural means white makes invisible the rich cultural history of Appalachians and our Black Appalachians. And their many contributions to the region. Worse yet, Invisibility means these Black communities in the region will continue to bear the greatest burdens of economic distress and environmental damage. The Biden administration has poised tremendous opportunity in the region. In addition, the administration has pledged rapid action on climate change by posturing a once in a generation investment in infrastructure and economic recovery. The Biden administration must be cognizant of the need for equitable and inclusive investments within these communities that have been historically neglected. Let's start this very important conversation about Black Appalachians and
0: Afrolations and their narratives. The first speaker was Dr. Frank X. Walker, author, educator, co-founder of the Appalachian Poets, and Kentucky's first African-American Poet Laureate. Walker spoke about the invisibility of many Black Appalachians' experience and the many cultural and civic contributions African-Americans from Appalachia have made to the region and the nation.
2: I'm going to open up with a poem uh, that introduces uh, my connection to the region and to the word, Appalachia. This is uh, the title poem from the book called Appalachia. Thoroughbred racing and hee-haw are burdensome images for Kentucky sons venturing beyond the Mason-Dixon. Anywhere in Appalachia is about as far as you get from our house and the projects Yet a mutual appreciation for fresh greens and cornbread, an almost heroic notion of family and porches, makes us kinfolk somehow. And having never ridden bareback or side saddle, and being inexperienced at cutting, hanging, or chewing tobacco, yet still feeling complete and proud to say that some of the bluegrass is black, enough to know that being colored and all is generally lost somewhere between the Dukes of Hazard and the Beverly Hillbillies. But if you think making shine from corn is as hard as Kentucky coal, imagine being an afro latin poet. That was written in 1991. After I'd attended a, a public reading of that initially was titled Kentucky Writers. And they changed the name Uh, twice over the course of of two weeks after they added an African American writer. And I didn't understand why they took Appalachian out of the title until I looked it up in the dictionary. And in 1991, the dictionary definition of Appalachian said white residents of the mountainous regions of Appalachia. And I was perplexed and stunned immediately because I realized that here was a word in a dictionary They had all that power and it immediately rendered a whole group of people who happened to not be white invisible. It disconnected them from the same land that we were born in and it made no sense to me. So I sat down to, to write that poem of interrogating this idea of what Appalachians by definition at people of color who didn't fit the definition, what we had in common. And at the very end of that poem, I wrote that word uh, Latin" for the first time. And it's been 30 years. And over the course of 30 years, that word has made into the Oxford American Dictionary. Uh, it's been used in classrooms and textbooks and encyclopedias all throughout the region. But more importantly, what it does is it immediately lets people know that It's very possible that their definition may be incomplete Uh, and as that African influence immediately lets people know uh, by default that there are people of color in the same region even though if you look at everything in mass media uh, they try to present a very different picture if you think about what we've seen on television and in the movies you think about Beverly Hillbillies, Dukes of Hazard, the Andy Griffith Show, bring that forward to something as recent as, as Justified that was on a cable network in the last five years. All of those images present an all-white space. And I, I wrestled with the idea of, of why that was important for, for mass media to, to make that that commitment uh, to always leave individuals out of color. Uh, and because of that, I'm still wrestling because it, it still makes very little sense until, unless you use the word black or immediately use the word afro And what we've done over the years is look at the entire region, is look at Southern New York, Pennsylvania, most of Pennsylvania, all of West Virginia, part of Ohio, part of Virginia, part of Kentucky, North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. And say that out loud often enough so that people get past this idea that that Appalachia is just four states surrounding West Virginia instead of 13 states. That include Pittsburgh and Birmingham, Alabama. And if we know anything about our history, there's no way you can talk about Pittsburgh and Birmingham and come up with any idea that embraces a notion that is about being all white or that leaves out people of color. Uh, What I'm gonna talk about this evening is I'm gonna focus on what I like to think of as Appalachia colon, the cradle of black genius. Because when I think about who's come from this region, it really defies any stereotype that gives you the quote unquote, hillbillies or, or little Abner or any of those negative caricatures of people in the region that are totally separated from people that we revere. And when we think about that region, it's important to understand that the word Afrolacha is not limited to the ARC definition But if it was, even inside that region, if you look at Charleston, West Virginia, almost 18% Black. Knoxville, Tennessee, over 18% Black. Pittsburgh, 29% Black. Tupelo, Mississippi, 28%. Chattanooga, Tennessee, 35%. Winston-Salem, North Carolina, 36%. And Birmingham, with a whopping 73% Black. These urban spaces inside of space that most of mass media tries to convince us it's all rural, it's just not true. Um, So I love challenging uh, these ideas that not only are we absent, that the entire space in those 13 states is all rural, not true. When you think about even the cities where our relatives have moved outside of the ARC definition of Appalachia and settled in these contiguous cities around the official region like Lexington, where I live, Nashville, Tennessee, Roanoke, Virginia, Charlotte, North Carolina, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and Atlanta. All those cities have large populations of African-American students and and workers and children and families and doctors and lawyers. Uh, But these black people are as insignificant as 13% here in Kentucky and 61% in Atlanta, Georgia. And they range from 36 to 46%. And you can't ignore those kind of numbers, uh, even though they're just outside the area. Cincinnati has the largest population of Appalachians outside of Appalachia. So many that in downtown Cincinnati, there's a whole area of town on the North side that is considered the Appalachia of Ohio, particularly Cincinnati, Ohio but somehow we still get this idea uh, because of mass media that we're not there, we don't exist. And what makes it laughable to me is that when I consider Carter G. Woodson, uh, who is from New Canton, Virginia, who's considered the the father of African-American history because he founded Negro History Week and then it expanded to a month, uh, the second individual to get a, second black man to get a PhD at, at Harvard University, Uh, He also went to school in Berea College, uh, coal mined in Kentucky. I mean, he's as Appalachian as you can get, but you almost have never heard his name, Carnegie Woodson, mentioned in the same sentence as Appalachian. But he's probably the most important Appalachian on our list. Uh, And it's a shame that it don't make that connection. Beyond Carnegie Woodson, we have Booker T. Washington. There's not an individual alive uh, that might not know about Booker T. Washington because at least he's included in most history books that leave out most of our history. Uh, But he's from Hales Ford, Virginia. He did his work in the region, born in the region, product of the region. Booker T. Washington uh, was a scholar. Uh, So was Carter G. Woodson. When you consider the great creatives in the region, Nobody has created more and given more to American theater than August Wilson. I mean, his, his cycle of plays that include uh, the Academy Award Winning Fences and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, which you probably saw in the last month on television, uh, are just two of, of 10 amazing uh, works that he has in circulation. But he's from Pittsburgh. He's from Appalachia. He is afro latian But you've never heard August Wilson's name mentioned in the same sentence as Appalachian. Uh, it's almost like it's on purpose. Angela Davis, an activist, Birmingham, Alabama, a political activist, scholar, author of, you know most of what she does these days is, is argue and make the point about the prison uh, industrial complex. She's still producing great work. She's still a significant figure, but Never do you hear about her being from Appalachia. Uh, Bessie Smith, if you're gonna jump already music, The Empress of the Blues, Chattanooga, Tennessee, the heart of Appalachia, also not included in conversations about what is Appalachia. Nina Simone, Tryon, North Carolina. Jazz, pop. Rock, gospel, I mean she sung everything of uh, the thing about Nina is she doesn't, she defies any one category. When I think about the cradle of black genius, you know, she's at the forefront of trained pianists, uh, amazing vocalist, an important activist. You know, she she set new standards when she performed on the stage. Uh, And she was very involved in civil rights struggle. She didn't separate what she was doing with what was happening as far as activism. And she's a great model of artist activism. And one of those geniuses, like Bill Withers, Slab Fork, West Virginia. Never hear about him being from Appalachia. You may hear about Slab Fork. He sings about his grandmother. Uh, He's proud of where he came from, uh, you know, one individual we lost during the pandemic, but deal with us, Nina Simone in the same space with Bessie Smith. We already have three amazing individuals of that deal with music uh, from the region. Roberta Flack is the fourth one. She's from Asheville, North Carolina. It just gets richer and richer. Uh, she went to Howard University, where she studied with Donny Hathaway, and they made so many great hits. If you're you're listening, you probably own some of these albums. And I just dated myself by saying album. Uh, But those names by themselves, you know, you heard Amethyst Kai, uh, and I mentioned Rihanna Giddings, but Rihanna uh, is part of a group called the Carolina Chocolate Drops. And they borrow their name from a group called the Tennessee Chocolate Drops, Uh, a black String. Music group that most people have never heard about, who live even live in the region. That was you know, they were making music uh, around the 30s and 40s. Uh, Rhiannon is a contemporary musician. She and her uh, core members, Don Fleming and Justin Robinson, you know, defied black stereotypes because they played a banjo, just like Amethyst, who also plays a banjo and other string instruments. Uh, these definitions, you know, some people are shocked because they think black people don't play the banjo but those same people don't know that it's our instrument. We brought it from Africa uh, and and gave it away like we give away so many things to American culture. Uh, That's just our gift. That's part of uh, the genius that we're connected to. When I consider Knoxville, Tennessee, I also have the thing about Nikki Giovanni. Nobody can question the importance of the woman who not only contributed uh, to the black arts movement but she was part and parcel of the civil rights struggle of the black arts movement happened at the same time as the civil rights movement they worked lockstep together and she contributed amazing work and is still doing that and teaching in Appalachia you know she gives Appalachia this great reputation that that we know it it should have along with Sonia Sanchez was also from Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, Sonia, Mama Sonia is still making amazing work, uh, still traveling, still presenting uh, as broadly as she can. And the power of her work, in her contribution and her legacy connected to the Black Arts Movement that reaches all the way back to the Harlem Renaissance is, is not just important for people in the literary movement or people in in Alabama but we consider how important these women are as leaders of and activists and the fact that they're still working in their 80s I mean it's it's a it's amazing it's, it's a model and I'm very proud to be part of a group that uh, is called the Affilatian Poets of who come from all over the region you know we, we were very honored to to continue adding important figures that include Henry Louis Gates, who's from Kieser, West Virginia. You may not know this, but even the Reverend T.D. James, even though he broadcasts from, from Texas, is from South Charleston, West Virginia. This may surprise you, but Jesse Owens from Oakville, Alabama, is an Appalachia. North Alabama, solidly in Appalachia and Appalachia. When you look at the literary, the creative, the intellectual production of so many individuals who are similar individuals in African-American history and you put that beside the reputation that Appalachia has because of mass media, you almost have to ask yourself, is it on purpose? You know, did somebody consciously decide to use divide and conquer as a as a framework to make sure that when they see Appalachia from outside the region, what they always see is poor, unlettered, uncultured, and all white. Because if you add little Abner to any of the people I've mentioned, you don't get that stereotype. It doesn't survive. Uh, and ask yourself, who does it serve? You know, I think that, you know, that's my segue into what comes as we talk about environmental activism. You know, the people that benefit from having a region defined or believed to be a place that just has throwaway people include big coal and big chemical corporations who make money hand over fist, exploiting individuals uh, like the luminaries I mentioned. But I think that if we ever took the opportunity to claim this space as part of all of Black America, of uh, you know, we could we could do justice and help correct some things in this area. But I look at our own history books collectively. We're also guilty as a people of not claiming the region, of letting it be claimed by other people. Uh, very rarely do you look in African American historical documents and see. Appalachia mention it all. If you go back to even mythical figures like the original steel-driving man, the man of steel, John Henry, that comes out of our own labor and work in the region, in Appalachia, in Appalachia. If you look at what has happened with the Cherokee uh, and their heritage being almost erased as well, You can't believe it's an accident. You have to understand that somebody somewhere decided that more money could be made if we made sure nobody knew that these individuals were connected to the region. And it seemed impossible to me that so much genius could be created, could come out of us, out of a space and never be connected to the same region it was born in. We say in Kentucky, some of the bluegrass, is black. We're probably years away from the textbook that documents all of our contributions from all 13 states that talks about how important this crucible, uh, this space uh, that includes all black towns like Lynch, Kentucky, um, that includes such history that is still not in in history books. will have come a long way to correcting the things that are, are broken. So I'm gonna try to bring this to a close and, and and move towards some thank yous so that we can get to our Q&A at the end. I don't wanna take too much time, but I wanted to celebrate these great luminaries. I want to remind you and let you hear them all in the same space so that you understand immediately that not only is Appalachia ours, that it's been ours. Um, And that it's something special going on in that space in spite of the poisoning of the waters and the water table and the individuals uh, that are victimized by environmental uh, horrors. This black genius, uh, the beauty, the power of individuals that we all celebrate usually in February. So many of them come from Appalachia or as we like to say, AfroLatin. So, thank you for listening. I uh, hope you were taking notes. There will be a quiz at the end.
0: That was Kentucky poet, writer, educator Frank X Walker. Another speaker was Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali, a longtime advocate and cultural worker with deep family roots in West Virginia. Miss Rothman introduced Dr. Ali and described some of his many civic and cultural contributions.
1: A renowned thought leader. An international speaker, policymaker, community liaison, trainer, facilitator, Dr. Santiago Ali serves as the Vice President of Environmental Justice, Climate, and Community Revitalization for the National Wildlife Federation. He is also the founder of the Revitalization Strategies, a business focused on moving our most vulnerable communities from surviving to thriving. Before joining the National Wildlife Federation, Mustafa was the Senior Vice President of Hip Hop Caucus, a national nonprofit and nonpartisan organization that connects the hip hop community to the civic process to build power and create positive change. Prior to joining the Hip Hop Caucus, Mustafa worked 24 years at the US Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, It's an honor
3: to hold space with everyone. I mean, um, what more can you say? Uh, Bishop Dinkins and and Professor X. Walker, uh, they gave us the history and also the marching orders moving forward. Uh, I'm blessed. I am an Afralachian. Uh, My family for over 100 years has lived in West Virginia. Um, They have seen the triumphs and the tragedies that have happened in our state Um, But this is a transformational moment that we find ourselves in, where we are willing to honor justice and equity that we can make real change happen. You know, my family, our ancestral spirit fills the mountaintops. Our roots are black and strong, and they run deeper than any Appalachian coal seed. Our culture gave birth to the music that echoes across the region, and our struggle to make the invisible visible and the unheard heard. We have an opportunity in this moment to to make real change happen, to make sure that those who have often been disinvested in have the resources that are necessary. We have an opportunity to also make sure that folks have the opportunity to fully engage in the civic process, to make sure that our voices are helping to drive the policy that is so critically important that has played a role uh, in our country's development uh, and some of the positive moments and some of those moments that others would like to forget about, but we can't allow folks to forget because if we forget we are doomed to make the same mistakes again and again. As I was thinking about the brief words that I wanted to share with you, I thought that it might be helpful if I went back to the beginning of the founding of at least West Virginia um, and some of the things that they were asking for at that time and then looped them into the moment that we find ourselves in today. You know, when West Virginia was first giving consideration to uh, becoming a state, there were four elements that were a part of that conversation. And lots of times folks it was thinks it's just a conversation about slavery. And, and luckily we've had some esteemed folks to paint the true picture, the full narrative a little bit earlier. Slavery was one of those elements. It was an opportunity for West Virginia to then break away from Virginia, but it was also about voting requirements. It was about the allocation of funds and it was also about taxation. I want you to think about that for a second because we find ourselves in this moment dealing with some very similar dynamics where folks are asking folks to make sure that you are protecting folks' opportunity to fully engage in the civic process, to be able to vote unencumbered, to be able to make sure that we are not placing any hurdles in front of individuals being able to do that. That was actually happening um, before the founding of the state of West Virginia. So we should remember that when we're having these important sets of conversations and actions that are going on and also realizing that we have to make sure that we are funding the organizations that are on the front line trying to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to fully participate in that process. When we look at the allocation of funds, we know that for brothers and sisters who have been living in Appalachia that resources have never flowed in the way that they were supposed to. And through the disinvestment, we find crumbling infrastructures that have been going on for a while now. We see the lack of investment and new sets of opportunities to create a new set of jobs. Now, my family worked in the mines for decades upon decades upon decades upon decades. And yes, it provided some opportunities, but. For those of us who truly understand the dynamics that have gone on in Appalachia, there have also been some impediments, impediments to people's health, being exposed to to black lung and having in many instances, lack of access to healthcare. We know right now in this moment in our country, we've got over 80 million people who are uninsured or underinsured. And as we look across Appalachia, we see the dynamics that are currently going on where folks are struggling to be able to actually make it to the doctor. We know that clinics and hospitals across the Appalachia have been closing, making it even more difficult. And we find ourselves in the COVID-19 moment. And even though we send up prayers and we ask God to guide us through this and we're beginning to see some light at the end of the tunnel, we know that there are still far too many people. And those people are African-American brothers and sisters and Latinx brothers and sisters and lower wealth communities who are still struggling uh, to be able to protect themselves from the virus and I want raise that because I want you to also think about all of those men and women who have worked in the coal mines given everything that they had and now dealing with black lung and other breathing difficulties and then being faced with COVID-19 and we all know that you have a pre-condition a medical condition that it makes you more vulnerable both to the hospitalizations and also to the possibilities of losing your life so when we think about both the past and the present, then it helps us to better understand why we have to make investments in healthcare and to make sure that everybody actually has an opportunity. And if we truly understand the opportunities that exist around healthcare, then we also understand that there are economic opportunities of reopening clinics and making sure that we are hiring uh, black folks to participate, uh, to treat, uh, and hopefully also the ownership Uh, of the clinics that that could be there. We also understand that in West Virginia, that our healthcare system is one of the major employers in the state. So let's make sure that there's real equity and justice as we expand that out and build that medical infrastructure that's so critically important and making sure that all the voices that need to be a part of that have an honest opportunity in that space. I often think about also in the history of West Virginia, the individuals who have contributed that many people sometimes have never even heard their names. I was blessed that my family actually went to West Virginia State, a historically black college and university. Um, At one time, one of the leading institutions, black institutions across our country. And there was a gentleman there by the name of John W. Davis. And John W. Davis, yes, he was the president uh, of West Virginia State College and a civil rights leader, of course, but he also was the first to bring the civilian pilot training program in 1939 to West Virginia State College. And the reason, reason that I raised this is because we're in a moment right now where we're looking at transportation uh, and infrastructure related issues. And we should be also making sure that we are investing in those institutions that actually have supported the African-American community because they're gonna be so critically needed in this moment as we begin to not only compete with other states um, across our nation, but also on the international stage. So it would just make sense that we make sure that those much needed dollars that do exist actually make it back to Appalachia, makes it to those institutions that have created incredible leaders in the past and will continue to move folks forward in this moment. You know, we also know that we have some serious challenges that are currently going on in relationship to pollution. It's nothing new for those of us who have lived in Appalachia, not only with the coal mines and and many of the water quality and water pollution impacts that have happened from from a, a number of different issues that have come from that space. But if we go back a little bit in history and tie it to our brothers and sisters, In 1930, for those of you who are historians of Appalachia, you will remember something called the the Hawks Tunnel and Dam. And at that time, there were over 800 men who were hired in that space. And a vast majority of them were African Americans. And we lost 476 workers uh, over in Somerville, West Virginia, when that five-year period when the dam and the tunnel was being built. So our history with exposures, those toxic exposures to chemicals uh, and to other things that are impactful to our body is just a part of the history of the area and why we have to make sure that we're making investments and why we have to also make sure that we are including the voices of communities in that space. That's why community science is so important. And where we can, making sure that we're also Uh, uplifting indigenous environmental knowledge as well in the mix as we move forward. And for those of us who have also studied some of the additional impacts that have happened there in the chemical corridor in West Virginia, it's over in Kanawha. And if you know the area, you know Institute West Virginia that has a large African-American population. And we also understand that there's some serious issues that are going on with these cancer clusters that exist, these liver and kidney diseases these other breathing difficulties that folks are finding themselves with, it gives us an opportunity in this moment to begin this just transition. We never wanna leave anyone behind, but we have an opportunity now to move forward on a clean economy, a clean economy as Bishop Dinkins mentioned, where we have ownership by African-Americans, their businesses in this space, but we have to make the investments there and we have to have intentionality in the dollars that flow both from the federal and the state. We also know that we have opportunities in this new clean economy to eliminate many of the impacts that we've seen from the utilization of certain chemicals and the processes that are in that place. And also as we transition away from coal, We have the opportunity to create a new set of opportunities, a set of opportunities around advanced manufacturing. I want you to think about this. The folks in Appalachia work incredibly well with both their minds and their hands. Who is better prepared to be able to enter into this 21st century set of opportunities than the folks in Appalachia? You see, we are smashing false narratives. And of course, as we smash these false narratives and help people to understand the fuller picture of what the reality of the situation is. We've got to make sure that African-American brothers and sisters are right there in the front for these sets of opportunities, but we have to have intentionality. We have to make sure that the investments are going there. Our foundations and philanthropic family have to make sure that they are pushing and investing to make sure that this becomes a reality and that those public-private partnerships come together to make sure that we are rebuilding the infrastructure across our country, but especially in Appalachia. This is the moment that we have there's a hyperloop that's being designed that will help us with high speed travel across our country, it's happening in West Virginia. But we have to make sure that there's real equity and justice in that for all the folks that will play a role in that space. We gotta make sure that black brothers and sisters have a equal opportunity to participate in this thriving set of economy that's going to come out of this. This is our moment. This is a transformational moment because the federal government has an administration right now who sees value in addressing the sins of the past and at the same time making sure that there's a fair set of investments that are making it into all communities. When we look across Appalachia, folks have been working hard for years. Sometimes it was difficult to be able to keep up. And we know that our housing stock is another place where we can actually make sure that we are ensuring generational wealth actually happens in the spaces and places that have been forgotten. This is our moment that we have. We have a decision to make if we are going to lean in, if we're going to make sure that we are building these coalitions, true coalitions, authentic collaborative partnerships. Let me say that one more time for folks, authentic collaborative partnerships. Because if there's authenticity in that space, then that means that you are honoring the wisdom and ingenuity and innovation that brothers and sisters bring to the, to the table. But if we're not gonna have authentic collaborative partnerships, then we are just using the same old 20th century models that have gotten us to the moment that we find ourselves in. You see, we have a chance to make real change happen. And that's why I'm so honored that both the Bishop and Professor Walker have taken the steps to move forward and pulling folks together to share the full narrative, but also to help people to understand that you have power unless you give it away. And if we translate that power properly, we can make sure that this new infrastructure bill that folks keep talking about in the jobs plan and all these other types of things can benefit all those who have often been unseen and unheard. We can make sure that many of these bills both on the federal and the state level have equity and justice built into them to make sure that no one gets left behind. This is a transformational moment. Dr. King shared with us as I close that we come to these shores in different ships but we're all in the same boat now. We find ourselves in similar boats. Now we know some boats got some holes in them, some ain't got all the oars, but if we think about that in totality, if we are willing to actually pull together, if we're willing to honor both the history and this moment and the future sets of opportunities for our African American brothers and sisters, our Afrolachians being a part of the driving of this new set of opportunities, then we're headed in the right direction. And we know that We were all in the same boat during the COVID-19 pandemic, but yes, there were certain communities who are hit harder. And we know that when we look at the impacts of the climate crisis, we know who's hit first and worst. But if we pull together, if we implement these sets of opportunities that stand in front of us, we can make sure that we're minimizing that. We can make sure that we have this new economic set of opportunities that can literally transform our region can transform our country and transform this planet. I'm Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali. I just wanna thank y'all for a couple of minutes of your time. And I also wanna thank uh, both Bishop Jenkins and Professor X. Walker and the NAACP, and everyone else uh, who wants to be an authentic partner in helping to make real change happen in Appalachia.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali. I heard so much there that this is our moment. This is a transformational moment, that this is a time for black equality opportunities and a time for investments, a transition from coal and so much more. Uh, and that we need to do a just transition to a clean economy from pilot training to transportation. Uh, Thank you so much.
0: That was Dr. Mustafa Santiago Ali speaking at the June 18th launch of the Black Appalachian Coalition. You can find more information at www.blackappalachiancoalition.com about this important organizing effort. Thank you for listening to Making Connections News. All of our stories about opportunities and challenges for diversifying Appalachia's economy and renewing our communities are available on our website, makingconnectionsnews.org, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. I'm your host, Mimi Pickering, for WMMT Mountain Community Radio.